Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today, we are hearing from God's Word with this Sunday's sermon. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Odium and Church Crookham, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Hello, everybody. Good to be with you again. And it's, it's so good to be back here, to be back in Church Crookham. Um, it struck me this morning as I was driving across the last time I spoke to a real audience was actually here. Not that you lot aren't real. I've got a handful of people in front of me here. Um, but I mean to a large gathering of people all together. It was actually here. And then the world changed. I preached and a week later we all got locked down, shut down. Everything was completely different. Um, and that day I preached from Colossians. And fine, it was appropriate. God had put it on my heart and I completely forgot about it in everything that was taking place. And I've preached a couple of times since, and I've preached on other subjects. But while I was thinking about um, today, and what should I say, I had a number of ideas go through my mind, and God brought me back to Colossians and said, you've got unfinished business. Go back to it. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to speak to you from Colossians. Now, those of you who might remember that, I know it was um, pre-lockdown and pre-COVID, and it was 10 months ago, but when I introduced the book, I said it was a book we're all familiar with. It's a book that famously is always quoted from, but is unfortunately very seldom read. It's a book full of sound bites, little pithy comments, those wonderful things that you will look through it and go, ah, I know that. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. I've got that. In actual fact, if you go looking around one of those Christian bookstores or a Christian bookshop, Colossians comes up all the time. The fridge magnet business, the poster business, it does well out of Colossians. And because of that, we're very familiar with it. But we're familiar with the soundbite. We're familiar with the quote. We're familiar with the one line. And God took me back and said, read the letter. Read the letter. And I read the letter and it really struck me as the message is so powerful and yet so simple. It is a beautiful piece of writing. Um, in a previous life, I was involved in writing for other people. I used to write uh, marketing materials, speech materials. I used to write speeches and promotions for people. And you used to dream of writing a pithy comment, something that was punchy and short and sharp, something that got an essence across in just a few words, something that people would remember and requote and requote, or to use what we do today, people would retweet. They would send it around. And I know what a tweet is, but I've heard people talk about it. Um, it would just go out into the media. And what Paul managed to do 2,000 years ago was write a letter that was like that. He wrote something that was passionate, it was quite punchy, it was quite clear, and it has stood the test of time as a quotation. But I want to take us back to the letter and the context of the letter and what Paul was trying to say. And if, I would, if you forget everything I say this morning, which is quite possible, please... Just read the letter. At some point this week, take a few minutes and read the letter. In any Bible, it's a few pages. It's only four chapters. But when you read the letter in its entirety, the message really comes across very powerfully. And I believe it's as relevant to us today in all the situations that we're facing as it was 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote it to the church in Colossus. Let me just give you a little bit of background, bring you back up to speed. The church in Colossus was a very small church, a very young church. It had only been in existence for a few years, and it was planted by a guy called Epaphras. Now, Epaphras had actually 
been in Ephesus and he'd heard Paul teach in Ephesus and was a convert there. He'd then gone back to his hometown, which was Colossae, and he'd preached the message. And Colossae was a multicultural place in South Turkey, predominantly Greek, but there were a lot of Jews there who'd, who'd been part of the exile 200 years before. And so it was a mixed community. But there was a young church. There were converts. And Paphras had led it, and he'd built it up. And it was now prospering. It was doing okay. But bear in mind, these people had no, I say no New Testament. They had The Bible they had was the Old Testament. So everything they were hearing was what they were taught, what was being said to them, predominantly by Epaphras. And Epaphras had now gone to Rome to meet Paul and was with him. So this was, we think, around AD 62. And he told Paul about what was going on in his church and what was happening. And he'd obviously been very open with him and shared that, you know, there are issues. There's multiculturalism. There's all the different aspects that people bring into it. There's aspects of Judaism that are coming in. There's aspects of uh, big Greek and pagan stuff that's coming in. This is where I live. And then as a response, Paul decided to write to the people in the church. He didn't write to the leaders. He wrote to the people in the church, an open letter to be read out amongst them. Now, he could have been critical. He could have actually said, this isn't good, you know, you need to be careful, you shouldn't be doing this. But he didn't. He wrote a letter of great encouragement. It's a very positive letter of correction. It's one of those letters you get to the end of and you think, I think I might have just been corrected, but I've been told off. I'm not told off in a bad way. I've been told off in quite a good way. I've been encouraged. I've been built up. And it's a lovely piece of work to do that. He wrote it because he wanted to speak to people he had never seen, but he cared about. And that was one of the great things about Paul. Many of the converts that he was responsible for, he never saw. They never met him. Only a handful of people ever had that, that privilege. But he cared about them all, and he wanted to input into them all. He wanted to teach them all. And so he would use his letters to do that. Well, what had he written so far? Last time I spoke about the, the first two parts of the letter, where in chapter one he spoke about the truth. And the truth was incredibly simple. The truth was that it's in Christ alone. Christ is supreme. Everything is in Christ. Whatever else you might hear, no, it is about Christ. Christ was the Son of God who lived and died for us, and we are forgiven. It's so simple. It's called a mystery, but it's simple. It's as simple as that. His death on the cross gave us forgiveness and it gave us freedom. By his grace, we are completely free. And then he goes on to say, simply because of that, because of your faith in Jesus, you are free from religion, from ritual, from holding special days, doing special festivals, going through special routines, eating special food, all these things, you're free of them. All these things that other people will try and put on you or say you should do this way or you should do it that way. You're free of it all. You're released. I've given you, you got, Christ has given you freedom. And then we get to where I want to look at today, the, the verses I want to dive into, Colossians 3. So if you want to look at that with me, we'll just have a look. Now I use a number of different translations. Uh, today I'm actually using a New Living Translation because I think it says so clearly what Paul was trying to make here. It's even titled in mine, Living the New Life. So he's got to the bit of, right, okay, I've told you the truth. So what are you going to do about it? How are you going to apply it? How's it going to be for you? 
and it starts off in 3 verse 1. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth, for you died when Christ died, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life, for that is idolatry. God's terrible anger will come upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old evil nature and all its wicked deeds. In its place you have clothed yourselves with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ, who created this new nature within you. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, rich or poor, or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must close yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are all called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the words of Christ, in all their richness, live in your hearts and make you wise. Use his words to teach and to counsel. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, all the while giving thanks through him to God the Father. Like I said, those are so powerful words, and that's just a few verses. I am one of those people who highlight key verses when I read through my Bible, and so I look through it, and then there's bits highlighted over time. If I look at Colossians, there's just more highlight than print. There's just so much highlight. In fact, the pages must be three times the weight. Um, there is just so much in there, so much content. I could go on for hours. I won't, but it, the depth of what's in there is, is amazing. But I'm just going to pick out a few things. First thing that struck me when I looked at that is about what is our perspective? Where are we looking? What are we doing? You see, because he talks there about hope. He talks about a heavenly perspective. Now, as Christians, we know we have faith, we have love, we have hope. But how often do we talk about hope? I hear faith talked about a lot. I hear love talked about a lot. But hope? And what do we mean by hope? What we mean is a promise. We don't mean a hope. You see, our language has evolved over time. And when we talk about a hope today, it is something we would like to do if we possibly can. It's something that we would like to happen or take place, but it might not. So I hope to visit my daughter and grandchildren in Canada. 
but I don't know when it will happen because the world's in lockdown and I can't travel. So I have a hope and an expectation that I want to do it, but I don't know when I can. And it might not happen for quite a while. But it doesn't mean that. The hope we're talking about here is a promise. It is eternity with God. It's a future in heaven. It's eternal life. That's our expectation. And if we live in hope, it doesn't mean we live hoping that something might happen and it might fortuitously work out. It's not that at all. It's we're living under a promise, a guarantee, a certainty. Our future is in heaven. Our future is with God. And how much does that change the way you look at the world? How much does that change what's going on around you, the situation you find yourself in, what you're trying to deal with right now? That heavenly perspective helps us to look at things completely differently. We're all going through the same stuff, the same difficulties, the same restrictions, the same worries and concerns. But our perspective will alter how we deal with it, will alter how we handle it. Many years ago, a very wise, mature Christian said something to me which was so helpful. I was trying to deal with an issue and I talked it through with him and he said, I have a check, one check question I use whenever I'm trying to deal with things. I was like, well, what's that? And he said, I simply asked myself, is this going to matter in heaven? Does what I'm dealing with right now affect my life in heaven? And if the answer to that is yes, then it's very important and I better get it dealt with and I better deal with it now. If it's not going to do that, it's a problem, but it's not that serious a problem. And it puts it in perspective for me. And I found that so helpful. And that's just one illustration of the way we are, the way we should be. Where's our focus? Where are we looking? How are we dealing with what's going around? Because this is temporary. What we're dealing with right now is temporary. What we're living, our life is temporary. It's gone so quickly. But our life in heaven isn't. Our life with God is eternal. And the other thing that strikes me so much when you read those verses is not that, as well, not just that. It's like, what do you do? I'm struck by how strong the wording is, how strong the language is. There's a lot of stuff in there about what you do and what your attitude should be. Those words like take off, put to death, get rid of are really strong. And then what you do is put on, clothe yourself. It's all very much about doing something, about how we approach our lives. Take the truth that we know and how we apply it. What should our attitudes be like? Where should our hearts be? And it says we should have an attitude of gratitude, of thankfulness. We should be striving to live in peace because of what we have, what we have now and what our future promises. Those things should be affecting how we are behaving and what we're doing. And if we have that, it becomes easier. Now, we have one great advantage. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised us the helper, the Holy Spirit. So it's not, this is about self-help, change your attitude, make an extra effort, do this, dig a bit deeper, you'll find the power to do it. It's not that at all. It's just about obedience. It's just about doing it because we have the Holy Spirit within us that will enable us, that will empower us to do these things. We still have to take the action. We can't be passive. We can't just sit back and let it roll over us and let it happen. We have to do something. But the Spirit will work in us, and it will make a huge difference if we make the effort. And it's so important that we do that. 
So important. I, I, the stress is so much in here about how everyone is equal, about their, how there are no barriers between people, about how before God we are the same. And sadly, so often, I see Christians and churches building walls and not bridges, putting things up rather than taking them down. And that's so sad because that's not what we should be about. That's not who we are. It's not who we should show to the world. If we're to imitate Christ, we shouldn't be doing that. And I'm not saying it's easy. Or it's going to be very difficult. But we need to say and do the right thing and be seen to do that because the world will look at us and if we don't, what do they see? Hypocrisy. And then sadly, when people have looked at the church many times, that's what they've seen. People who seem to say and do different things. We have to make sure we get that right. And that's what Paul was stressing to these people, that we should be living in that way. We should be living in a way that is honest and open and peaceful. That doesn't mean we all have to think everybody else is wonderful and roll over all the time. We've got to work a lot of things out. There's a lot of things that will be disagreements that we will have to work out. We will have to rub off each other many times to sort things out. But if our attitude is right and our hearts are right, we will work it through. And that will be seen. That will be our witness. So often our witness in the world is not what we say. It's what we are. It's what we do. Because that's what people pick up on. I know when I wasn't a Christian, I looked at a lot of Christians and I didn't like them. And the reason I didn't like them was they weren't truthful. They might have believed what they were saying, but they never lived it out. And then I met a group of evangelical Christians, like we are, and they were different. Because although I didn't understand them at the time, I could never say they were hypocrites. They were, what they said and what they did worked out. And a matter of fact, they did an awful lot without talking about it. And that was an impressive thing to me. It, it woke up something in me. And it attracted me. And it was a long time afterwards I realized what I was attracted to. But I think that's how we should be. And that's when people are looking at us, that's what they should, they should see. And I hope they do. I really hope they do, because that should be our focus. Guy spoke last week about wanting to get church back together again. And, and that is so true. I would love to have us all back together again physically. But also, I want people in the world to see us as well. I love this place. I prefer this place to Odium physically as a building. And the reason is that there's a glass wall behind me. There's a glass wall over there. And when we get in here and do our stuff, whatever that might be, people see us. We are not hidden. And I love that because I would love to be seen, not for myself, but for us. I want people to, to see, and even if it's curiosity, great, let them come and be curious. Let them come and find out. And hopefully what we are and the way we live will engage them. We'll take them in. That's what we want. People to have the great hope that we have. Because so many people don't have hope. They have existence and they're getting through their lives. They don't have our hope, our promise which will lift us above everything. And it would be so wonderful for them to have that as well. The other point that he stresses there, and he stresses it quite strongly, is about forgiveness, our attitude of forgiveness and our, how we handle that. And he says quite simply, how much has God forgiven us? When Jesus died for us, he forgave us, forgave us for our sin. 
God, it's so vital to us. And yet, so often, we don't forgive or we say we forgive, but we don't forgive in our hearts. And I know this is so powerful because Jesus mentioned it so often. And just before he died, Jesus said, forgive them. There's a lot of things he could have said just before he died, but he said, forgive them. So it was so strong in his heart too. Despite everything, he was saying, forgive them. And it's something we have to do. And it is so difficult to forgive. I know that. I also know that lack of forgiveness or improper forgiveness is one of the biggest things facing people today, whether they're Christian or not. I, I have a whole thing about that. I'll preach about that another time. It's such a big topic in its own right. But it's a powerful thing. And it's something that we should get our heads around and deal with. In the Lord's Prayer, it makes it very clear that we ask for forgiveness because we have been forgiven. And then it says beyond that, if you fail to do it, there are consequences for it. One of the consequences for it is it will never sit right with you. And so many times when I find myself with people praying for them because they've said, can you help me? Can I go through something with them? And it comes to me time and time again, God speaks to me and says, they've got a problem they haven't forgiven. So you say, you've got a problem. I believe this is what God is saying. They go, no, 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 no. I did have, but I dealt with it years ago. It's fine. I've, I've spoken to the person. I've dealt with it. You know, I think, well, no, you haven't. <laughs> it's still eating away at you. It's a really big topic, but it's one that faces us all. And I would urge you, if God's triggered something in you, to deal with it. To deal with it. Please deal with it. Because it will eat away at you and prevent you having all the other benefits that we get. It will just damage you, so please deal with it. As I said, there is so much in there, and I'm aware of time, so I'll wind it up now. But I would urge you, please, to read the letter and let the letter wash over you. It is one of those that if in any time you have a doubt, read the letter. If you're uncertain about something, go back to it, because it distills the basics of what we believe and what we are and its truth. And then it just says quite simply what we should do how we should apply it, how we should make that real. In the last few months during this lockdown period, I've had quite a few discussions with people who are not confused, but have lost the focus. And I've been able to say, go back to this, read this, take this on board. This is the focus. This is what you need to hang on to. I would say to all Christians, actually, read this on a regular basis because it will just bring you back. It will center you back to what we believe and what we should do. I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to ask Shimona to come back and lead us in worship. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that it is all grace. It's not about us and it's not about special stuff. It's simply about you and your death for us and your great gift of forgiveness to us. I thank you so much for that, Lord God. And I thank you that although there's loads of stuff I can't get my head around, I do thank you for that. That you have given me and all my brothers and sisters a hope, a promise, a future with you. Not a possible, but a guarantee. And I thank you again, in Jesus' name. Amen.